The pleasure. Again, thank you so much, Mary, you, for Victoria. stopping by and visiting Poetic License. And we will be back next month, the first Monday of every month at 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have a wonderful night. a bit of twisted history from the tortured windmills of M. Watson Dodge's mishmash of a mind, a piece he calls Tonto Rides Again 2. It's a fact that in the year 1933, WXYZ, a radio station in Detroit, began airing a show titled The Lone Ranger. Soon, the half-hour drama went national, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.30 p.m., children around the country would eagerly tune in to hear the stentorian words of the show's announcer. From out of the west come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. The title character was played over the years by three actors, the most famous being Brace Beamer. Yes, it was kind of an odd name to be associated with a show coming out of America's Motor City. However, the show was never sponsored by any of the Detroit auto giants, nor were BMW automobiles being imported from Bavaria, so there were no Beamer jokes back then. The show introduced its main character, a mysterious western figure, a good guy who happened to be independently wealthy thanks to his ownership of a silver mine where he got the ore he smelted to produce the silver bullets he carried. We never did learn how the business worked. Who did the mining, the smelting, and the bullet making? Maybe the seven Texas dwarfs? Or how the masked man handled payroll taxes, management issues, and so on. He traveled around Texas doing good deeds and righting wrongs wherever he found them. In many ways, he was to the Wild West what a guy like the one Mitt Romney aspired to be was to Massachusetts, except that the ranger always wore a mask, something Romney has always been loath to do. Once he put everything straight, something the masked man did in every episode, he rode out of town without accepting any payments or rewards, not even any gift bags, leaving behind a bunch of puzzled but appreciative 
townspeople and the silver bullet or two. The silver bullets were novelty items. The Lone Ranger gave away his souvenirs to impress pretty school marms and even prettier town officials. However, as he never smoked, drank, or, as far as we know, had sex, the silver bullets were hardly a symbol of high living. Rather, they were devices he used to avoid the touchy topic of who exactly he was. Ask him who he was and get a silver bullet in return, but no answer. Not that it was ever hinted that anyone actually cared. Though he also loaded his own gun with the silver cartridges, the ammunition was never used to kill anyone because he was just a humanitarian as well as a great shot. The Lone Ranger always aimed for and hit the villain's gun hands. Neurosurgeons of the Old West specializing in hand surgery loved him. It was the close at every episode that some dumb schmuck of a banker or storekeeper would invariably ask, Who was that masked man? And someone always replied, Why, you dumb schmuck? You mean you don't know? Why, that was the Lone Ranger. Ear cocked to hear those words, L.R. then mounted his trusty hay burner and galloped out of town the same way he galloped in, to the tune of the William Tell Overture. No one ever asked about the Indian who rode into town, then out of town along with him. His name was Tonto. We assumed that was his first name and that he had no last name. Kind of like an Indian Beyonce. Tonight, we present what we think may have been radio station WXYZ's audition session for the role of Tonto. for coming down to the audition and welcome to Detroit's top radio station WXYZ. My name is Fran Stryker, head writer and producer of the show you'll be auditioning for as of next month, January 1933 to be exact. WXYZ will have been on air for 10 years and also in January we're going to celebrate by by introducing something very special, something no other Midwestern radio station has ever done. We are going to present a live radio drama three nights a week, a Western, a show we think might soon go national. How about them apples? Your name is Fran Stryker? It isn't your real name, is it? Yes, it is. Why? Nothing. I never heard of anyone with the name of Stryker before. Sounds like a made-up show business name. Or maybe something John Wayne would use in a movie about some marine. That's all. Do your friends call you Lucky? As in Lucky Striker? No. A new show that's going national? Oh, goody, goody gumdrops. That sounds simply Jim Dandy, all right. But who is that man standing over there in the shadows? And why is he wearing a cowboy hat? And a mask. That's the star of this new show I've been talking about. He's Brace Beamer. Hi, I'm Brace Beamer. Beamer? Is that really his name? Or is it a made-up showbiz name? Yes, it's real. He will be playing the lead character, the Lone Ranger. The Lone what? The Lone Ranger. If he's going to be alone, what are any of us actors doing here? No, you don't understand. He's not the alone ranger. He's the lone ranger. He will encounter other people each week. He'll even talk with some of them, and he will actually be in constant contact with a faithful Indian companion named Tonto who rides with him. Tonto will be played by one of you. The lone ranger shares a lot of information with Tonto, like filling him in on plot details. Okay, so there's a Mr. Tonto or a Miss Tonto, a faithful Indian companion? What kind of companion? Is he or she someone from India? I'm not sure I can do a Bombay accent. No, you don't have to. He's a Potawatomi Indian. 
I'll have to learn a Potawatomi accent. So this character is a Native American? Yes. Then why don't you say that's what the character is instead of beating around the bush calling him an Indian when he or she is not from Bombay? Sir, we won't be calling Indians Native Americans for at least another 40 years. Does Mr. Tonto wear a mask? No, and it's just Tonto, not Mr. Tonto. Then why does the guy in the cowboy suit wear a mask? It gives him added panache. Yes, and besides that, I like it. I think it looks pretty spiffy. I'm Brace Beamer, and I play the Lone Ranger. But this is radio. No one will see you looking pretty spiffy. Point taken, friend. You say this Native American is a faithful Indian companion? What faith would that be? We're not sure, but we think he's Methodist. If this ranger fellow has a companion in Tonto, then why is he called the Lone Ranger? I think I already addressed that issue. Let me take a crack at answering that, Fran. Maybe I can clear up the confusion. Hi, I'm Race Beamer, and I play the Lone Ranger. Is that really your name? The Lone Ranger? No, that's the name of the character I play. No, your name, Brace Beamer. Sounds made up to me. Like one of those phony showbiz names like Cary Grant or Buckwheat or Fran Stryker. No, that's my real name, Brace Beamer. Beamer? You're Mexican? No, Beamer. Beamer. Beamer, not Beaner. On the show, I'm called the Lone Ranger because in the story, I am a member of a phalanx of Texas Rangers, all of whom are killed in a gun battle with a Butch Cavendish gang, all except me. After the massacre, I still consider myself a Ranger, but I am the only one left from my cohort. Thus, I am the Lone Ranger, all alone by the telephone, so to speak. Not that telephones have been invented yet. I am rescued from death by an Indian named Tonto who becomes my friend and companion. But you're not alone, so maybe you should be called something like the Last Ranger Standing to avoid confusion. Too long a title. It doesn't exactly trip off the tongue like the Lone Ranger, and we're not going to change the name at this point. Now, you may be wondering about the role you folks are auditioning for this staunch Indian fellow, Tonto. Tonto is the ranger guy's companion. Uh, Is Tonto a man or a woman? A man. Then why am I here? In case you haven't noticed, I'm a woman. Hi, lady. I'm Brace Beamer. I play the Lone Ranger. I specifically asked for a woman such as yourself to audition because I was thinking if we could find the right actress, we could maybe make Tonto a woman and build in a little love interest for Kimosabi. Kimowati? Kimosabi. Tonto calls me that. It's supposed to mean something in Indian, some Indian dialect, but it's never explained so nobody knows what it means. Some people think it's the name of a brand of house paint the station wanted to get as a sponsor. I personally think it wouldn't make much sense for an Indian to use the name off a paint can for his friend's nickname, so... It means flaming asshole. Say what? Flaming asshole. My grandmother was an Ojibwe Indian, and that's what she used to call my grandfather, Kimosabi. Especially after she slipped some scotch bonnets into his possum stew and made him climb the walls. Well, the story is supposed to take place in Texas. There would have been no Ojibwe Indians, so Kemosh Swabe probably means something entirely different in Kamachi or Apache. If you say so. Brace, I'm telling you, it's really stupid. It's a really stupid idea to make Tonto a woman. How could we have a romance between a white Texas ranger and an Indian woman? Maybe she's only half Indian. I can do half an Indian. Great. Let's try it. Here's a script I edited for a female actor. Take it from the top of page two. <laughs> oh, Kimosabe. When Bush Cavendish hit Tonto on head with gun butt, Am I really going to be hit over the head with a gun butt? Pretty much every show, but don't worry, it's a sound effect. You won't really get hit. 
I better not if you don't want a lawsuit on your hands. Oh, Kimo Sabe, when Butch Cavendish hit Tonto on head with gun butt, me have heap many stars and birdies circle head. Also, visions of beautiful little mask ring papooses. Me and you someday have you butchum. Tonto, my lovely half-breed, you are my woman now, and Butch Cavendish will rue the day he ever bonked you on your noggin. Who writes this crap? Why does Tonto use pidgin in English? And isn't Tonto Spanish for stupid? I don't know. I'm supposed to be a white Texan, so my character wouldn't know any Spanish. And neither do I, Brace Beamer, when you come down to it. Did I study three years with Stavins Lonsky for this kind of shit? (laughs) Taking this job could wreck my whole acting career. I'm out of here. Well, that settles it then. Tonto will be played by a guy. You say he's the Rangers, the Ranger guy's longtime friend and companion? Yes. Does that mean they're homosexuals? When it says in an obituary that some guy was a longtime companion of the dead guy, it always means they're gay. No, they're not gay. Then why are they hanging out? Did Tonto get kicked out of the tribe for being gay? (laughs) They're not gay. Then is Tonto out of work or something? We need to know the backstory on this guy. Okay then, let's make something up. Let's say Tonto rescues the injured ranger and nurses him back to health. So now Tonto is a registered nurse. A male nurse. What does that tell you, baby gigs? No, he's not. He's just your average everyday Indian. Wears buckskins and a headband with a feather sticking out. And he rides a horse called Scout. Why would an Indian have a horse named Scout? Doesn't sound like something out of New Delhi to me. Well, maybe the Lone Ranger bought the horse as a present to Tonto and shipped the horse over from India. And Tonto is not from New Delhi, Bombay, or Calcutta. He's a Native American. Makes sense. That lone gay ranger is probably all over him like rice on a bowl of Krispies when they both slip inside Tonto's sleeping bag and snuggle up by the campfire every night. The cowboy probably gives Tonto presents to keep him quiet about their love. The love that dare not speak its name. I'm not sweet on him, but you hit the nail on the head about the horse. Since it was a second-hand horse, it already had a name. Scout. Who plays Scout? Nobody. Scout doesn't have any lines. He just snorts and pounds his hooves. The Foley guy does that. Okay. Can we get you folks to read some lines so we can make a decision on who plays Tonto? Here's a script. We'll go from top of page one. Who wants to go first? I'll try it. Okay, cue music. Hold it, hold it. I thought this was supposed to be some kind of Wild West thing. Where does William Tell fit into all of this? William Tell doesn't enter into it. We like the music because it's exciting and it makes people think of guys on horseback. And it's free. Public domain. No royalties to pay. So I take it this is a cheap-ass production? Yeah, the cheapest. What are you paying the actors? Next to nothing. In case you haven't noticed, there's a depression on. Don't worry, it's okay. I managed to get by on what they're paying me by sleeping at the station and eating at the soup kitchen down the street. Those homeless bums love it when I show up in the cowboy suit. Let's start again. Hi-ho, Silver! Away! Silver? Who the fuck is Silver? (laughs) Is there a guy named Silver associated with this show? Silver, that's a Jew name. No, Silver is the name of the Lone Ranger's horse. A horse named Silver? So he rides a Jew horse. Hey, are you familiar with Henry Ford's newspaper? It tells us straight skinny about the Jews. I happen to subscribe to it, and I'm also a regular listener to Father Coughlin. So I know all about the Rothschilds, 
and the protocols of the elders of Zion and all that. And I ain't never gonna work for no show that features a Jew horse. He's gone. Well, looks like it's down to you, fella. You wanna read for the gig? Give me the script. Take it from the top of page five. So, Chemo Sloppy? That's Chemo Sabi, not Chemo Sloppy. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. So, Chemo Sabi, what we do now? I'm going to break up that bank robbery. You cover my back. Me cover you big backside, Chemo. I use Silver's horse blanket. It just big enough to cover Chemo Sabi's big white ass. Why me talk like Elmo? Sorry, I improvised a little there. That's okay. You've got the job if you want it. Want it? Of course I want it. If I'm guessing correctly, this job should be a good steady gig for a good long stretch. Think about it. A Western performed on the radio and broadcast from Detroit featuring a Jewish horse, a politically incorrect Indian who speaks pidgin English, and a good guy with a mask fetish who rides to the music of a symphony orchestra. Everybody is going to listen to this one. Oi, what's not the mic? The Lone Ranger, once in that cast tanto, went on the air, broadcasting half-hour shows three days a week for many years. Later, in the 1950s, it became a TV show. There are also feature films, movie serials, and comic books. Among the actors it would employ on radio was a young James Lipton, a Detroit native who went on to host the Actors Studio Workshop on television and be parodied by Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. Also featured on the radio show was Al Hodge, who became the Green Hornet and later Captain Video on television. Famous actors in the movie role of Tonto include, believe it or not, Johnny Depp. Detroit radio station WXYZ is still on air, now as an all-sports talk station. Tonight's show, Tonto Rise Again 2, has been a production of the Ubu Radio Theater Hour on KBU Radio Portland. Voices were played by... Orson Welles Jr. Rolf. Sean. Melissa. Anne. Don't change that, that dial because you are tuned to the Hour Radio Theater Show on KBOO! Princess Dacron, Art Barfman, and Hubble Hubble, three alien circus performers from the distant planet, banter in their native language as they head for Earth in their rickety old spaceship, the Millennium Strap-On. It's time to cease our banter and once again work on our American-inflected English dialect in preparation for arrival. How now, brown cow, grazing in the green, green grass, black bug's blood. She slit the sheet, the sheet she slit, upon the slitted sheet she sits. Start eight, March, April. In the concatenation year 25353999574, on the bridge of the SS Millennium Strap-On, I, Chief Warrant Astronaut Dacron Gabardine Velcro, Grand Princess of Gastroenteritis, Fourth Planet, 
from the wheat blaze at the center of the concatenation system in the West Highland Terrier area galaxy, reporting. We are en route to the third planet in the solar system of the Milky Way galaxy with my entertainment troupe, the Interhemorrhoidal Flying Circus. First officer, Art Barfman, your report. Aye, aye, princess. Art Barfman reporting. We are three unemployed voyagers who USO contract to entertain Death Star Troopers has been canceled. We have no money, we're running low on fuel, we have little food left on board, and feeling damnably hungry. To say our morale is low would be a gross understatement. And all because of that night, the space cops nabbed a drunken Princess Velcro on the trapeze in the act of displaying some of her cheesier moves to an equally naked and AWOL store trooper. Bamo! And now we're all going to starve! You're never going to let me live that down, are you? Officer Hubble, pull up your big girl panties, and Art Barfman, pull up whatever you wear under that getup of yours, and get a grip, will you? Shit happens! I'm hungry and too weak to the point where this circus strong lady can't lift more than 16 tons. And what do I get? Another day older and deeper in debt? No! I get bullshit! No, I get bullshit 12-step encouragement from my leader. Pull up my big girl panties indeed! You'll get nourishment soon enough. It arrives simultaneous with our imminent employment. Look, like I've been telling you ever since we passed Andromeda, our booking agent, Moisha Handelbendel, predicts a terrific run for us in Vegas. We will be rolling in food and money. All we have to do is get there and get past Homeland Security. Full disclosure, I really love rolling in food, especially flan. Money is nice to roll in, too. Yes, but the fact remains, we're down to our last extra strength promo seltzer fuel pack. Once it's gone, our remaining engine sputters out, the main drive rubber band goes slack, the space propeller ceases to vibrate, we lose propulsion, and then there we are, floating in space. Like a trio of fragrant Sandra Bullock's, George Clooney's, and Matt Damon's. Now, now, buck up, team. We're almost there. Look down there, see? Saturn. Oh, I've always wanted to see its rings, but I don't see it. Where is it? No, 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 not the planet. I'm talking about that green two-door 1992 General Motors Junker. The one with the Oregon plates down there below us taking its licks on Route 66. We've reached Earth! Hot damn! We've made it. Salvation is ours. What say we buzz Area 51? No, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta prep ourselves for landing. First... I must don my Delta Airlines pilot persona. <coughs> uh, uh, Captain Dacron here. We have begun our uh, descent to Earth for uh, one of our usual um, uh, hair-raising pants-pissing landings, this one in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, where right now it is a brisk 158 degrees and climbing. The princess has returned on the panic sign. In case of problems, a seatbelt will drop from the ceiling, conveniently out of reach. A nitrous oxide mask will fly out of the back of the seat in front of you and slap itself onto your face, probably upside down. Return your seats back to their full upright position, lock your tray tables, extinguish all feelings of well-being, disarm all bombs, remove all hands from genitalia, and stifle all excess screaming. If you simply must vomit, I please open a window and stick your head out and let loose. We're out of barf bags. Thank you for flying your anus space lines. Whoa, Darkrun! Abort the descent! I'm picking up a strange signal from below. 
attention. Flying object in the sky. Home of the brave security agent and air traffic control supervisor Cliff Notes here. Uh, you copy? Fine, we'll get you ten. You're in Vegas airspace. Cliffy, how's it swinging, good buddy? Yes, we copy. Francis Dacron, Gabardine Velcro here, along with my crew, Circus Entertainers, Art Barfman, and Hubba Hubble. Give me your 1020, Velcro. Cliff, you little skip. We barely know each other, yet already you're asking me for my 1020. I came here from Planet Gastroenteritis in the West Calabrese Federation, part of the Rust Belt Cluster, 60,000 light years from here. Right now, we're hovering over Las Vegas. Do you copy? Ah, uh, roger that, Velcro. Ah, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong. This is your Sigma Delta Chai Jokers from Dartmouth again, right? I've warned you, frat rat, dickwads, before about hacking into our communications frequency, haven't I? Ah, uh, this is so cute. This numbnuts imbecile thinks we're frat boys. Gadfrey, it's astounding how this planet's bureaucrats can be such big, big dicks. Bigger than a stack to the ceiling room full of Ron Jeremy's. I can hear you, you know. We're not deaf down here. I'll have you know I did my Homeland Security apprenticeship under George W. Bush, so please show a little respect. Respect? Cliffy, we'll be thrilled to show you a little respect. We'll think of you as a regular Aretha Franklin, my man, for we are but a harmless troop of wise-cracking circus vagabonds, acrobats, jugglers, wire walkers, strong women, seeking work at the most prestigious hotel and casino in Las Vegas, Circus Circus. Circus people from deep space? Really? So tell me this. Just how do you college freaks manage to get a hold of a flying saucer? It's just a cheap drone, right? People, we're going to have to really convince this guy of our desperate need to land. Like, all we've got on the pantry shelf is half a jar of tang and two moon pies. And our ship is running on bromo fumes. Hey, Clifford, since you doubt we are bona fide circus performers, let me beam you down a teloid flectus, what you earth fellows call a YouTube. It will prove I'm not trying to pull one over on you. Hit it, crew. Yes, the picture is coming through. What is that I'm looking at? It's a video of Hubba and me juggling chainsaws while trotting full speed on a laser beam that's been shot across gastroenteritis, twin half moons, Seth and Rogan. I'll be traversing the beam eastward, balancing on my shoulders Billy Joel and the late Liberace together for the first time, playing Uptown Girl on two concert grands, accompanied by Barry Manilow on a third, who will be straying at stool in my backpack while O.J. Simpson holds a knife to his throat. I, Art Barfman, will be skipping in the opposite direction with wrapped in arms, Elvis's curled upper lip, the ashes of the entire Sinatra rack pack, Wayne Newton's toupee, Siegfried's, but not Roy, one of the two Durands, Neil Diamond's ego, two large-breasted naked showgirls, 76 trombones, the entire New York Mets baseball team, and all of Huey Lewis and the news, except for Huey Lewis. You're gonna do that gag in Vegas? Same exact thing, Cliff, though completely different. We won't have two half moons, so we will run a single laser beam from the Elvis Wedding Chapel to the Zappo Shoe Headquarters. Then to the roof of the Trump castle, where Trump himself will be on the roof, clenching one end of the beam in his big fat mouth. 
just before they collide, Hubba and Art vanish into a mini black hole, re-emerging instantly inside the Circus Circus performance space where I, garbed as the Phantom of the Opera, shall be playing the theremin and singing the Man of Steel theme from the first Superman movie. Ta-da! Quite spectacular, right? What happened to Manilow, Newton's toupee, the Mets, and all the rest after they enter the black hole? Who knows? Who cares? Showbiz is a fickle mistress. Cliff, allow us to land and we'll be happy to comp you and your undoubtedly handsome life partner front row seats with dinner and drinks. On your paltry civil service salary, it's highly unlikely you have at any time in your life ever seen cavorting intergalactic circus performers. You can now live that dream and do it in the comfort of a padded theater seat while scarfing down all you can tolerate of circus circuses justly famous flaming chicken fazool. Well, uh... Oh, come on, guy. <laughs> you ever been down on your luck running a low on promo seltzer? Jobless? Ravenous for substance? More solid than Tang or Moonbys? We beg you, let us land! Good God, have mercy on us, fellow creature of the universe. Well, whoever you jokers are, you've touched a weak spot in my dark soul. I assume you've got the proper credentials, passports, work visas, right? Why, of course, Cliff. Hey, Art, Hubba, what the hell are passports and work visas? Okay then, you're in. Clearance to land. But only if you promise to be good little aliens. No ugliness like that brouhaha they had at Disneyland last year. Drunken Tribbles granted permission to land in Anaheim, then demanding oral sex from Snow White and making Pinocchio lie so they could use his big nose for lewd purposes. Roger that, good buddy. No problemo. We copy. Hubba? Proceed with our descent. Wow, did we clip a 747 on the way in or what? No, we landed on top of it. That's why we didn't bounce as much as usual. Well, here we are, gang. On the beautiful Las Vegas Strip. We're in Vegas! Come on, let's go! Let's chow down at the Circus circus Buffet. What? What? What did I say? The buffet is good, right? Am I right? I'm reminded of the words Han Solo spoke to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars 34. Hey, keep your hand off that stick, fellow. I'm not the throttle and never was. I'm sorry if it doesn't come close to describing how I feel about you two wonderful sweethearts. I love you both. Before disembarking, let's rehearse our boffo new dark energy magic routine once more. Okay, here goes. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the mystery of dark energy. What the fuck? What happened? Nothing. I don't I don't think we'll ever get this guy to work. Let's try it again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the mystery of dark energy! I think we nailed it that time! Where the hell am I? I don't know. 
But I think maybe we just wiped out the Blue Man Group and Cirque Soleil. Somebody's gonna be pissed. Princess Dacron's Intergalactic Flying Circus has been a presentation of the Ubu Radio Theater. It was written by visiting Martian M. Watson Dodge and performed by... Rolf. Larson Wells, Jr. Rolf. I don't think I gave my name in the first time, so... And... Melissa. Jonah. Branch your cheeks. Alright, let's move. Time is wasting. You ready? You ready? Okay. Okay. We're alright. Alright. No, we're good. Angular took care of it. It was just a kick. <laughs> the biggest damn kick I ever seen. And you are tuned to the Ubu Hour. Radio Theater! Stand by. Okay, bring it up. Lucky Strike. First again with Tobacco Men. First again with... We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. KBU News reporter Bippity Boppity here broadcasting remotely, which means, in my case, that only remotely does this resemble a real news broadcast. Welcome to our live coverage from the Federal 21st District Court of Appeals, one of less appealing of all appeals courts. In fact, in my opinion, this one has the very least appeal of any appeals court anywhere in the world, a really shabby dump when you come down to it. Now entering the courtroom, a man stretched out on a hospital gurney, the late Judge Antonin Scarponi. He's looking, I must say, very, very dead. Judge reporter Bippity Boppity from KBU News, if we might have a word with you, please. Isn't KBU that infamous commie radio station located in that gone to hell without the handbasket city of Portland? Well, what the hey, it can't be any worse than where I'm living now. Hell. Or maybe it can, I don't know. I've been dead for several months, you know, and I'm here just to finish up this trial. So what's your question? First judge, how are you feeling? I'm dead. I'm not feeling anything. No energy whatsoever. No nothing. I'm deader than a friggin' dorm nail. How would you feel if you were dead? Well, that truly makes you the dead man of the hour, Judge. Presiding as you are over this high-profile trial of accused murderer Marilyn Ramblin' nose job. If you've got no halfway intelligent questions for me, I've only got a short furlough from hell, so see ya. Judge, wait. Do you have any idea how long this trial may last? Taking into consideration the gravity of the charges, the long-windedness of the defense attorney, the frequent memory lapses of the district attorney, the vagaries of the judge being dead, I would estimate five months, maybe six, assuming no DNA evidence is being brought into the case by Los Angeles cops. Should that happen, we will immediately hang the jury. But there's a definite possibility the trial could stretch to four years, depending, of course, upon the TV ratings. Or maybe it will just seem to go on that long. Frankly, I don't care. I'm in Catholic hell for eternity. And if they return me to the county morgue's refrigerator every night to keep my rotting flesh from oozing, I believe I can last out this trial no matter how long it takes. But who does care about the length is Lord Satan. As I've said, I have only a furlough, something seldom granted to those condemned to hell, the evilest of evil ones. El Cabron del Fuegas is going to want me back in Hades more like sooner rather than later. Now, if you'll pardon me, Pippity, though I don't want you to take this as a signal I would ever pardon you in any court, no matter what your crime, you being associated with that commie radio station in Drizzle City, Away, my minions. Enough of wasting time with the press. Take me to the bench. Little joke there. Bench. Press. Bench press. Get it? And there you have it, Judge Antonin Scarponi, dead for months, has gotten back on the horse. The jury has been selected, and it's about to begin hearing the testimony in what is being called, in places like Romania, the trial of the millennium. Everywhere else it's being called, just another tedious trial of everyone's patience. What's that? I've just gotten a message from KBU Central. Through this bothersome little plug, they make me stick in my ear. Right now, the little voice coming through it is saying that 
Much to the courtroom's annoyance, everyone is being asked once again to rise. This time, it's for the judge as he makes his grandstanding entrance, and he's really eating all this attention up. He's waving his gavel and smiling to the cameras from his gurney. Hiya, hiya, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Oh, come on. I don't deserve all that love. Everybody sit down, for gosh sakes. You're too kind. Come on, you've got to stop. You've got a trial to conduct here today. The popular juggalo biographer and porn blogger Marilyn Ramblin Nosejob is accused of murdering the vice president of the United States, a death that went undetected for several months until a pizza delivery boy found Vice President Ignatius Frankwinkle dead in his desk chair, his blood-coated body even more odiferous than usual. If found guilty, the wealthy, eccentric nose job, a person of observably indeterminate sex, faces the possibility of death by execution right here in the Clarence Thomas Federal Circuit Court of Appeals building. The action begins. Let's listen. Prosecutor Baz Ackward, infamous for attacks of strong flatulence, involuntarily rises from his seat as if wearing a hidden jetpack. Feet back on the floor, begins oh pacing in front of the jury while waving at the seat of his pants. I, reporter Bibbidi Bobbidi for KBU News, will now button my lip as the trial begins. <laughs> this is KBU Radio, giving you news as it happens. If it happens, when it happens, where it happens, why it happens, and who might possibly care, but giving it to you only so long as you keep supporting us with your generous contributions. I'd like to add a personal message here. Hey, whoever you are, stop mailing us all those nickels during pledge, pledge drives. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, and I trust you are truly ladies and gentlemen, the state... In this, in this trial, accuses the wealthy, eccentric, Marilyn <laughs> oh Ramblin' Nose Job, a person of indeterminate sex, of murdering a federal office holder, to wit, the vice president. This is a crime, a glaring, mis a glaring misdemeanor of satanic <laughs> proportions. The state, embodied in me, will show that Mr. or Ms. Nose Job had the motive the weapon, and the opportunity to pump nine forty-five caliber bullets into the corpulent body of one, oh, let's see, his name is, I've got it here, somewhere, his name, I, yes, here it is, I knew I had written it down, the corpulent body of one, Frankel Winkle, who I'm told has been our vice president for several years. We are pretty certain that the person seated at the defense table, no, not the pretty one, that's Nose Job's attorney, was a dastardly malefactor who did the dirty deed. You, Nose Job, should be ashamed of yourself. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's it? That sums up your case? Jesus! I clocked you in at 40 seconds. You've got a friggin' train to catch or something, Bass? Okay, let the record show that the state's attorney was pointing at the accused, not the legal counsel for the accused, when talking about the malefactors. Even though the word malefactor could, of course, equally apply to the counsel for the accused. Miss Cherry Cola, for she is, after all, a bottom-feeding lawyer like the rest of us running this show. Miss Cola, your turn. Break a leg! Nose Job's lawyer, the beautiful, voluptuous, raven-tressed bombshell, Cherry Cola, now sidles over the face of the jury, wiggling her very impressive booty every step of the way. Wow, what a babe. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client, the wealthy, eccentric, Marilyn Rambling Nose Job, is a person who drew reputedly of indeterminate sex might be a woman much like myself, not nearly as pretty, but a woman nevertheless, probably. And she's on trial for her life, though I hasten to assure you I am not. For the next few hours, I will attempt to earn my fee, six grand an hour for the information of those who may be in need of excellent legal representation someday. I will build a case for my client showing that she could not have murdered that pudgy fellow. What's his name? You know, the guy who was vice president, or so they tell me. She could not have done it because, for one thing, she was not in Washington, D.C. at what is thought to be the time of the tragic incident. She was, instead, on her bike, 
peddling herself all over Zanesville, Ohio, delivering newspapers. We will also call witnesses who will testify that Miss No's job was too stupid to know how to operate a handgun. And we will call witnesses who will tell you that Miss No's job was pretty nice most of the time and ipso facto most likely incapable of working up the requisite immoral turpentine. I mean turpitude necessary to commit the dastardly crime. Miss Cola pauses to refresh herself with something from her hip flask. We will also look at the forensic evidence and see if you can make heads or tails of it. I know I can't. And finally, we will be staring out the window and thinking how we could have been spending all this time more pleasantly at the beach or in the mountains instead of this fitted courtroom. Thank you for pretending to be attentive. After a short recess, we will continue with this terrifically fascinating trial. I know that I, Judge Scarponi, am having a lot of fun, aren't you? The recess will be for only five or six minutes, time enough for me to go take a leak. So don't get out of your seats. You can smoke them if you got them, and the bailiffs will be passing among you, handing out ashtrays and small sample-sized snicker bars, courtesy of the Mars Corporation, purveyors of fine, neatly wrapped candies. Bippity back with you reporting live from the Clarence Thomas Circuit Court of Appeals Building, one of the federal government's many dreadfully ugly Greek revival office buildings. I'm speaking with Ernie Crashcart Garage Door, half-brother of the woman who operates the cash bar here at the courthouse vestibule. Ernie, how much do you know about the nose job trial being conducted right here, right now? Not a thing, Bip. Well, there you have it. Another citizen heard from in a KBOO exclusive interview. Back now to our trial in progress. The state wishes to call to the stand Hilton Billingsley III. Calling Hilton Billingsley III to the stand. A pimply-faced kid now steps into the courtroom and takes the stand. The bailiff, holding a tattered King James Bible, approaches the witness. Please place your right hand on the tattered Bible and repeat after me. Please place your right hand on the tattered Bible and repeat after me. What? What? Judge Sarkopone is visibly irritated with this exchange and is about to interrupt. I said... I said... Okay, Abbott and Costello, stop right there. I can see where this is going. Kid, are you going to tell the truth? Truth can be at best a pretty vague concept. You're a pretty vague concept. Tell the damn truth. Thank you so very much for your cooperation, Perry Mason Jr. Proceed, Counselor. Please state your name for the record. You guys are cutting the record? Cool. Your Honor, I request permission to treat this witness as hostile. I think you would be better advised to treat him as the nincompoop he obviously is. Your name is Hilton Billingsley the Third, correct? I hope so. That's what it says on the note bomb pinned inside my pants. Please tell the court your occupation. Objection. Relevance? It goes to the question, your honor. Oh well, if it goes to the question, by all means proceed, as if anyone besides Sam Waterston knows what the hell the phrase goes to the question means. But maybe you can fill me in later. Please answer the question. I deliver pizzas. Order! Any further displays of that nature will be met with reprisals up to and including the use of strapado, the wheel, the Iron Maiden, the rack, and the high colonic. You say you deliver pizzas, and that, I assume, includes pizzas with various toppings. Objection. Sustained. Well, yeah. Duh. Were you delivering a pizza on the afternoon of June 5th? 
Yeah, I deliver pizzas every day. Did you take a pizza to the office of Vice President Ignatius Frank Wrinkle on the day in question? Yeah, but that ain't the name that was on the order. It was some woman's name, but they gave me the wrong address. <gasps> hey, I warned you once. Am I going to have to stop the trial, pull the car over, and come down there? Because if I have to come down there, you will not like it. When you arrived at the address on the order, did you find anything unusual? Yeah, the door was open a crack, so I let myself in. Did you find anything unusual inside? Yeah, there was a fire burning in the fireplace. Very stupid for August in D.C. Anything even more unusual than that? Objection. Sleeting the witness. I am not. R2. Why don't you just shut the hell up? Come over here and make me, big boy. If you're man enough. Objection overruled. I will see you in my chambers alone, Miss Cola, at the close of today's session. Are you wearing anything under that robe? Proceed with your questioning, counselor. Your witness, Ms. Cola. Mr. Dern, you testified that you saw, and I quote, a dead guy sitting behind the desk. How did you know he was dead? He had a lot of bullet holes in him. His brains was leaking down his face, and the top of his head was sitting on the floor beside him. So, if I hear you correctly, you assumed he was dead because the top of his head was on the floor. Please tell the jury, Mr. Are you a certified criminal pathologist? No, but I watch him on TV. Especially that one guy, Dexter, who's also a serial killer. <laughs> I'll take that as no. Mr. Dirt, have you ever heard of said that when you assume things, you make an ass out of you and me. No. How does that work? No further questions, but we would like to reserve the right to beat him around the head and neck outside the confines of the courtroom. Request duly noted and granted. The court will stand in recess for ten days. Six months ago, before I died, I booked a Caribbean cruise to Santa Isabella Island for this week, and I sure as hell ain't gonna let being dead or this half-assed trial make me cancel it. Have any plans for this week, Miss Cola? So there you have it. The trial is in recess until... Hey, man, can I say hello to my mom and dad in Zanesville? Miss Nose Job, this is quite irregular, but what the hell, sure, why not? I'm sure most of Zanesville listens to KBU. The defendant, Marilyn Ramblin' Nose Job, ladies and gentlemen, wishes to say a few words. Hi, Mom! Hi, Dad! So there you have it. The trial is in recess until Garponi gets a tropical suntan. For KBU News, this is Bip Boppity, returning you to the program already in progress. The Ubu Radio Hour. Tonight, it features the play, Recess. The jury is out to lunch. Written and produced by certifiably insane legal eagle M. Watson Dodge. And starring the voices of... Rolf. Cat Meow. Minji. San Martin. Larry. This has been the Ubu Hour, coming at you every first Monday at 11 p.m. here on KBOO. But have no fear, because there is radio theater every Monday at 11 p.m. Tune in next month when the Ubu Hour brings you Title of work to be announced at a later date. 
If you want to hear other Ubu Hour radio theater shows, you can go to www.kboo.fm and, and look, look for, for Ubu, spelled U-B-U, Hour. KBOO Community Radio Artists in Residence program application period is open. Every year, one artist or one collaborative group of artists will be awarded 20 hours of studio recording and production time with a KBOO mixologist in order to create a piece of sound art that will be publicly presented at the end of the residency. The Artists in Residence program is open to artists of all disciplines whose project proposals include sound as a major component. Applications for the KBOO 2017 Artists in Residence are due Friday, April 7th. More information can be found at kboo.fm slash kboo.air2017. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of La Nagurada La Primavera on April 21st and 22nd. Two nights of joy and justice in a multi-venue call to action in response to the immigration ban. On April 21st, La Nagarada La Primavera features Alex and Allison Gray, Las Cafeteras, and Gran Ritmos, and Nevasquez, and Vos Workers' Rights Education Project at the Melody Ballroom. April 22nd at the Crystal Ballroom will feature Alex and Allison Gray, Daca Braca, Future Primitive, The Human Experience, and Orquesta Pacifico Tropical. Again, that's La Nagarada La Primavera on April 21st and 22nd. Two 